0: A start on demand. on demand.
1: Is it time to shorten the traditional 40-hour work week? Global News has a feature on its website, globalnews.ca, called Fact or Fiction. And this week, they're asking that very question. So what do you think? Curling legend Jeff Stoughton joined us for a peek at this weekend's action at the Brier. And told us just how long it takes to get really good at curling we head to bistro on notre dame a restaurant that opened in november during level red and we also learned that coronavirus isn't the only virus to have gotten in the way of this owner's dream to open a restaurant and what is your best or worst memory of watching sports on tv I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb, who's in for Jeff Courier. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. And this is the Friday, March 12th podcast for The Start. Mackling and McGarry, McNabb is in for Jeff Courier.
0: How's it going, Mackling? I'm distracted. What's up? I'm thinking about (laughs) that. Do you want to know what I'm thinking about right now? Yeah. Why is it when I go to the Half Moon, my favorite place to go out for a hot dog, I'll only order one hot dog. But when I'm at home, like last night when I made supper for the kids, there was just three of us, and I'm like, Brendan, you'll have two? Yeah. Alex, two? I make two for myself. I would never have two hot dogs at the restaurant, but at home, it's automatic. What's the deal with that? One's not enough.
1: One is not what? enough.
0: For Even sure
1: with, it's not enough. No, no, it's no, no, I guess, okay. It depends. Like, did you have fries with it?
0: No fries, just some uh, tortilla chips. Some at, at La Cucina, uh tortilla chips at home. Oh, but uh, when you went, if you go to Half Moon. Oh, fry, uh, frings, man. Frings. <laughs> a little bit of French fries, a little bit of onion rings. Okay.
1: So when you when you get the hot dog and the frings, yeah, is that enough?
0: Yeah, probably.
1: But when you so at home, you're pro, you're primarily having hot dogs, and you say a couple of tortilla chips on yeah. the side.
0: Yeah, no fries last night. Okay,
1: think. well, you see, if you're just having a hot dog, it's not enough. Like if ever I get a hot dog on the street, and get one hot dog, I'll eat it, and then I'll think, okay, I'm hungry. What's to eat? But the problem is when you get a hot dog, it's often the same price as you would pay for a burger, right? So a burger, I find, is more filling than a hot dog. That's why you always got to have two hot dogs. It's funny you had hot dogs last night because so did I. (laughs) Oh,
0: really? (laughs) So I didn't mean to derail the Friday conversation right off the bat, but these are the things I think about when... I have time to myself, and I had about nine seconds to myself, and I started thinking, why did I have two hot dogs last night? Because <laughs> one isn't enough.
1: It's <laughs> just not enough unless you have the fries, I guess. Like if I go out, but even if I go out for a hot dog and have hot dog and fries, I still feel like I need another hot dog.
0: Do you need one or you just want one? Because let's be honest, they are just so darn good. It's like tacos. There is no unacceptable number of tacos that you can eat at home. Like, you eat the tacos till the meat is gone. Yep. yep. That's true. <laughs> you don't count the numbers. You're either out of meat, you are either, or you're out of tortillas, or you're out of both. <laughs> it doesn't matter how many you ate to get there. The point is, you eat until there is no more to be had.
1: And, and you know what? Now that I think about it, the last time I went to Skinner's, for example, I had a double hot dog.
0: I've never double done bacon that. dog never done the double hot dog
1: it's good and that that i find is is satisfying i just feel like sometimes one isn't enough sometimes two the bun overwhelms the wiener I guess it depends on. It's such a silly word. To, I, I feel like no? I, like a child when I say <laughs> wiener. <laughs> but yeah, it depends on 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 the wiener, on on the sausage that is in the bun. Um, yeah, like there's nothing worse than than uh, getting a, like when <laughs> I remember some. I think my mom once came home with these like gigantic hot dog buns, and then we just had like normal. Your, your basic. Hot dog wiener And I thought like I gotta put like Three wieners in this thing To make up for this Massive bun
0: uh, Well I always find The the footlong buns Are really hard to find I like a logger or, or the You know The European wieners From Winnipeg Old Country sausage Yeah This is really going Off the rails <laughs> We could talk hot dogs all morning, and of course, we're getting text messages, and one of our listeners says, Willie, uh, he says, it's because you're cheap when you're out, it's five hot dogs or more for one dog when you're out. <laughs> and I think he's right. Uh, you would, if it, was, if it was two for six bucks or whatever, you'd have no problem Woofing down two hot dogs.
1: Yeah, absolutely, I would have no problem with that. And I actually bought, uh, you know those cheese buns? I went to Safeway. Yes, yes. I didn't realize they came in hot dog form. So I bought those. I was at Safeway and I went through, it was just wandering through the bread section, the bakery, trying to figure out what kind of buns I wanted. And I saw those cheese buns. I'm like, sold. (laughs) Let's go. And how did it go? It was great. So I got the bacon cheddar Smokies. I, I bought some bacon. I spent like $40 on hot dog supplies <laughs> on Wednesday. I got the the Bavarian Smokies, and I, I didn't know which wieners I wanted, so I got the bacon cheddar Smokies. I also bought a bag of uh, European wieners. I ended up going with the Smokies first at home. The cheese buns. Couldn't remember if I had ketchup or mustard because I never use them. Turns out I did, but so now I have two bottles of ketchup oh, and two bottles up of now. mustard.
0: <laughs> Oh boy! What a way to start uh, the next seventy-five years for CJOB. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so, text us, I guess, uh, is one hot dog enough?
0: <laughs> <laughs> the burning question on this day.
1: <laughs> uh, but hey, when it comes to hot dogs, I'll tell you where one hot dog is enough. Because I had heard of the legend. Oh, yes. Of the Jets dog, and mm. I had never had one. So when I went to a Jets game, I won tickets. It would have been last February, January or February, at one of the, uh, I think it would have been St. Boniface Hospital lottery launch, the last one we would have done. I recall. And I won Jets tickets, and I went on a weeknight. And my buddy says, you got to get the Jets dog, man. You got to get the Jets dog. So I just, I mean, and I had a pretty basic one. I, I got the nacho cheese or whatever on it and the bacon bits. And I think maybe pickles, but that was it. I didn't add the potato chips and all the other stuff. And
0: all the pierogi pieces. Yeah.
1: Mm. And, and even that was was enough. That was, That's usually, a big actually, hot dog.
0: I usually split that one with uh, one of the boys. Really? Yeah, I'll have them cut in half. Uh, Jets uh, just about pulled it off last night. They were down 3-2. They tied the game late. And then Austin Matthews was just a filthy goal uh, on Connor (laughs) Hellebuck. And the over to Phil was just filthy. But you know who was even more filthy was Hellebuck. He was all world again last night. So that sets up the rubber match on Saturday. Jets, Maple Leafs tomorrow night, 6 o'clock.
1: Mackling and McGarry, McNabb in for Courier. It is a familiar feeling as you approach the end of your work week, whenever that week ends. For many of us, it's on Fridays. But maybe you work a different schedule. we say, Wednesday, Thursday is your weekend. But no matter what is your schedule, that familiar feeling... Looking forward to the weekend.
0: Yeah, for many just thinking about two upcoming days off of rest and self-care can immediately boost their mood. But what if those two days were to become three permanently? <laughs> Global News has a series called Fact or Fiction. And this week, Noor Ibrahim finds out whether a shorter work week would be better for... For everyone.
2: Are your work weeks getting more and more difficult to get through? Well, what if they were shortened to 30 hours instead of 40? A 2020 poll by Angus Reid Institute suggests a majority of Canadians like that idea, 53% to be exact. The theory is a shorter work week with more downtime in between means employees can return more rested and be more productive. Associate Professor Yu Jian has some thoughts on the data we have so far. Most
3: of the research findings are based on surveys or correlational studies. We don't have a firm conclusion about the causality.
2: But that hasn't stopped some organizations from giving the concept a go. In 2019, Microsoft Japan implemented a four-day work week with the same pay, and they say their employees' productivity rose 40%. But while Jan says it's debatable whether a 40-hour week is an outdated concept, there is evidence to suggest a traditional work environment is. I don't think organizations will probably look at that 40-hour week per se. I think we're going to be looking at how can we have more flexible time, core working hours, um, how can we enable people to feel connected to their purpose at work, Michelle Chambers works with leaders to develop strategies for success and employee empowerment. She says COVID-19 has brought restructuring and work flexibility to the forefront of many conversations. We're gonna have a hybrid workforce moving forward. There's no question. Both experts say working from home has benefited many. Think less time commuting and more time with family. But both experts also say that technology brings a downside if you're not allowed to disconnect. One
3: important component of work recovery Is actually um, work detachment, meaning that we detach ourselves from either doing any work tasks or thinking about um, tasks.
2: It can also be difficult to rest if you're on call all the time or expected to respond to emails outside of work hours. So how do we go about restructuring in a healthy way? I'm glad you asked. Janet Chambers say this starts by giving autonomy to the employee, allowing them to decide what hours are most suitable, whether they'd like to work from home, from the office, or or both. both. Easier said than done, of course. Chamber says employers can start by having honest and safe conversations, setting clear and realistic work expectations and addressing diversity, equity and mental health shortcomings. It also means employees need to set boundaries for personal time. They can also co-design their work life with their employer instead of sticking to a one size fits all approach. So. A 40-hour work week might be here to stay for now, but Chambers says after a year of working through a global pandemic, reimagining work environments is inevitable. Nuri Ibrahim, Global News.
1: So we've put the question on our 680 CJOB Instagram is it time to shorten the 40-hour work week? Yeah or nope? So you can cast your vote there. Would love for you to follow us there. We're almost at 7,800. We only need one more to get to 7,800. So follow us there. We're going to continue this conversation at 637. So you can also weigh in on text. Do you think it's time to shorten the 40-hour work week? Let us know. 204-780-6868. Seems we have a consensus, Greg, on our text line at 204-780-6868.
0: What's that song that I love by Tuke? It's never enough. One is not enough. Hot dogs. (laughs) (laughs) So you have uh, voted. Your voice has been heard. And Kevin the Garbage Man uh, puts it this way. Some places have a three-drink minimum. My campfire has a three-hot dog minimum. (laughs) (laughs) So there you go. If you're eating more than one hot dog at a meal, you are not alone in that. You are correct. It is not enough. It is never enough for me or for you. So you can keep texting on that,
1: 204-780-6868. And in our next segment, details on how you can win a really cool prize, something that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, and we will tell you what that is in just about 10 minutes' time. But right now we want to continue the conversation on the reduced work week because we... Shared a uh, global news feature with you in our previous segment, Fact or Fiction? It's a weekly series on globalnews.ca. And this week they asked the question, is it time to shorten the traditional 40-hour Work Week. So that's going to be the subject of our question of the day at cjob.com, which, by the way, is brought to you by Mr. Furness. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furness, 204-832-6243. Now, we realize that this doesn't work for everyone. Not everybody works the traditional 40 hours, but just in the general sense... The, the traditional 40-hour work week, Greg, what do you think?
0: Well, you know, it's a difficult situation. Like Brenda texted in, she's a nurse. She says 40-hour uh, work week would be great for some professions. It just wouldn't work for me. I'm a rural nurse, and we are short-staffed most of the time. And there are some jobs where you're... You're there to basically to fill time and to be there to serve a purpose for a certain amount of time. It's not like you get a list of tasks. And then once you are done those tasks, you could conceivably go home. If you work on a production line, that line works at a certain pace. So that might not work. So it's not going to work for everyone. Here's just an example, Brett. Jackie booked a day off today. She hasn't had a day off since uh, probably since Christmas time. Wow. So she booked a day off today, and guess what she does? She shows up at home last night with a 12 inches thick pile of paperwork that she's probably going to have to do over the weekend because taking the day off has created basically a backlog of work for her, and there's just basically no getting ahead of it. And there's many of us that are in that situation, and of course – with our electronic devices. We're tethered to work all the time that responsibility expectation or that need want or desire, depending on the, you know, the way you view your job to check your email, to respond to email, to do certain things, quote unquote, after hours, I think is really creeping into and has been for a long time creeping into our personal time. And for many of us, it's a personal choice, but it would be nice, like I know in France, if not Germany, one of the two countries where it's essentially illegal for your workplace to send you an email outside of your work hours. Wow. And they've gone to the extent of essentially shutting down your work email accounts. It's a responsibility of your employer to make sure that you don't get bombarded or even bothered with work-related emails outside of work hours. And I think we need maybe more, than th- more of that. I have
1: disabled... We, we have a lot of communication chains here at CJOB and Global News. We have our email, and then we, have, we use Microsoft Teams, and we are hooked into all kinds of different communication channels. I have all of them disabled, except for direct messages on Teams and uh, breaking news alerts. That's it. Those are the only two notifications I get, I, and I do not... Uh, when I first hooked up email on my phone, I had notifications for it. And I think I hooked it up like right before I was going golfing. And every five seconds, my phone was buzzing because we just get hammered with emails all day. So I disabled that because it just drives me insane. But I still feel this, I feel compelled to be checking my email constantly throughout the day because of the nature of what we do. We, we Our day starts early and we're often gone from the building before things really get going here during the day. So we feel this need to be checking our email sometimes at seven o'clock, eight o'clock, nine o'clock at night. And I do like our boss, for example, even puts, even in his uh, email signature, he says, my working hours and your working hours may be different, so please know I have no expectation that you'll read or respond to emails sent outside your normal working hours. So How about that? I appreciate that. I do too. Because if he sends an email at 9 p.m., he's not waiting for us to reply because we might be in bed already. We might not. I often don't make it to bed until 10, 10.30, and then I hate my life when I wake up in the morning and hate myself, but... If I get that email, I might feel compelled, but when I see that, I think, you know what? I can wait, and it's, I think, on me as well to wait. So let us know what you think. The four, the traditional 40-hour work week, and even if it doesn't work for you in that sort of standard sense, uh, maybe you work like a six-days-on, three-day-off schedule. Would you like to see maybe shorter working hours instead of working an eight-hour shift or a nine-hour shift? Maybe that gets reduced to six or seven hours. I don't know. Let us know what you think. 204-780-6868. Mackling and McGarry McNabb is in for a courier. Two weeks ago, we told you about VoltSafe, the magnetic block heater plug. Sounds like a really cool thing. Well, in my grubby Transconian mitts, I have a VoltSafe. We have one to give away today. Here's how you're going to get it. We're giving it away after 9.15. We need you to text us a story. We've been talking recently about, like, I, I, I think, Greg, you brought it up, is curling the perfect TV sport. hmm So then we had a cut. Co- I think you brought it up two weeks ago when we were discussing the Scotties. Then last week we just had a conversation about it. And now today, on that subject, we want to know your best or worst memory of watching sports. And here is mine. <laughs> There's the pass to
4: Leitner. Puts it up. Yes! March 28,
2: 1992.
1: Duke beats Kentucky 104-103 in the Elite Eight in March Madness. I was watching the game with my dad, Smash Gordon. We were sitting on his bed. I was sitting on the edge of the bed. Kentucky had just gone up 103-102 with two seconds left. And then Duke launches the ball down the court. Christian Leitner puts up the shot and it's simultaneously my best and worst memory best. I think because I remember enjoying watching the game with my dad, but worst because I was not cheering for Duke. And every time I watch that highlight, it's still 1992, almost 30, is that 30 years now? Just got to do the math. Yeah, almost 30 years later, it still makes my heart sink.
0: You should never, ever cheer for Duke, first and foremost. No, no. I know Duke has lots of fans. I'm a I'm a Tar Heels, North Carolina Tar Heels fan, so never, ever chew for, cheer for Duke, so we would have been on the same side of that one.
1: Alright, so let's go around the horn here. We got Jeff Forte, Jeff Braun, Cam Poitras. Mr. Poitras, sports guy, why don't we start
5: with you? Well, um, honorable mention to the 2003 NLCS uh, with the Cubs, the Steve Bartman incident. I was Twelve years old. Uh, it, was, it was horrible. Um, that one was brutal. But the worst ever had to have been, and I and I actually can feel it right now. I 2016. I was working for the Stampeders. I was doing stats for them. I had to be like a fake Stampeders fan, but I was of course diehard Bomber. <laughs> diehard Bomber. 2016. I think it was in September, and uh, the Bombers scored 20 points late in the fourth, and they could not win. And McMahon Stadium, they could not win there at that time. And they, were, they scored 20 points in the fourth. And they came back. It was a like a buck 12 left in the fourth quarter. Uh, uh, Matt Nichols, it was a hurry-up offense. They got it right down the field. It was one of the most amazing drives I'd ever seen. They scored a touchdown. They got ahead by one. They got the one-point conversion. I think there was 23 seconds left on the clock. I was beside myself. I couldn't cheer. I was in the press box. I had to hold my hands tight because I was losing it. And then Bo Levi Mitchell gets the ball. He throws a dart to Durant. Uh it was like a 37-yard pass. They mm-hmm. kick a field goal with zeros on the clock mm-hmm. and they win and I it ruined days of my life. I was so <laughs> upset. I was walking through the stadium. I was beside myself. I went home. I I just like collapsed on my bed. I had to go to work and it was full of stamps fans obviously. I was working at QR77 <laughs> and everybody was it, it was horrible. It was the worst loss I've ever suffered. Ruined again days of my life, and I, I, I still feel it. I can still feel it. It was so bad. What was the question?
0: The best sports moment? Or worst. Oh, oh, or worst. Okay. <laughs> like, yeah. oh, my God. <laughs> sorry. Oh. Are it you okay, so, It was so – I can still
5: – it was so bad.
0: I remember that oh, game very bad. vividly. You, I know exactly where I was. They could not
5: win at McMahon. They know? couldn't do it, and they, they had him. <laughs>
0: Do you remember the uh, the date
5: approximately? I think it was September twenty fourth, twenty sixteen, somewhere I, around there. Yeah,
0: I wanted to say it was in August because I was out for dinner, but maybe you're right. It might have been in September.
1: And this was twenty sixteen. I think so. Yeah. Okay. I'm just gonna I'm gonna try it to was find a beautiful the highlight day. I remember it was a
5: gorgeous day.
0: Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. We were out for dinner with my family. We're at Tony Roma's. We were watching it on the on the on the iPhones and. We thought, oh my God, yeah, the Bombers won in 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 Calgary, and then, oh yeah, thanks, thanks, Cam.
1: <laughs> All right, uh, Jeff Braun. Well, I'm going to take a Tylenol on behalf of Cam. Right
0: now, <laughs> I think, uh, my God, um the, for me, it's anytime the Bombers win is the best sports moment ever, and the only thing that compares to a Bomber win, of course, is a Rough Rider loss, and. Their humiliation at the end of the 97th Grey Cup in 2009 when they lost the game because they had too many men on the field was such uh, the most beautiful shot in Freud for everyone in Manitoba. I remember watching the game with my friends, and you know, the Montreal guy misses a field goal and, like, ugh, riders win. This is garbage. But no, flags wait, what? Too many guys, re kick goes through, Montreal wins, the riders lose. Because of counting, because of the thirteenth man, which they're always so proud about because they're usually referring to their fan base, right? Uh, <laughs> it was just it was just so glorious and to this day it just it tickles me to, to relive that moment and to think about it they fly a flag with a number 13 on it i think it's beautiful hey cam by the
1: way i was just checking the uh bombers 2016 network folder here i was going to try to find that highlight so you could relive that magical moment but uh it (laughs) appeared it was september 24th yes 2016 stamps 36 bombers 34 but it seems that all highlights we have highlights from every game that year Except that one. I understand why. So somebody... (laughs) Cam deleted them. It's
5: burned in my memory that date. (laughs) Uh, Forte, what about you? (laughs) See, I'm not a big sports fan, so I don't have a specific sports memory, but I have a bunch of memories of, you know, the atmosphere of having people over at my parents' place and the delicious food and just that great feeling. But for me, one of the best feelings was just back in January. I had my dad over we watched the Jets game. Jets won, but you know it was just so nice to uh, just be with my dad, and uh, actually having somebody over for once during this pandemic. So uh, I'm going to go with that.
1: That's great. That is great fortune. That's great. That's another. That's part of what we're why we ask these questions, right? It's not just about the moment, the sports moment, but it's about the moment that you had with someone else. Mackling, what about you?
0: Well, I'm borrowing Darlene's because this was so epic, and I'm gonna I'm going to start. With part of Darlene's text here, Brett, and then I'm going to ask you to play the audio. My best memory of sports on TV has to be the 2006 Bomber game versus Edmonton. Score was 1922. I like the way she put that. For Edmonton, we were 100 yards away from a TD. And for as good as it was on television, Darlene, it was even better on radio.
1: Here we go. The last play of the game, barring a penalty. Kevin Glenn in the shotgun. And he throws it long down the left side for Stiegel. He's got it, and he's gone. Milt steagle's going all
4: the way for a touchdown on the last play of the game. A hundred-yard touchdown pass. Stiegel caught the ball between two stunned Edmonton defenders around center field. I don't think he could believe it himself, and there was nobody left to beat, and he took it into the end zone. And who could have imagined an ending like that? That
1: is a Hall of Fame call if I've ever heard one. Great suggestion, Darlene. So this is what we need from you at 204-780-6868. Your best or worst memory of watching sports on TV could be the moment itself, or as Forte described, the people you were with. For me, it was a combination of both. Let us know, and we are giving away, just after 9.15, the Safe magnetic block heater plug. We've been asking you this morning, 204-780-6868, to text us your best or worst sports memory, watching specifically watching sports on TV. So if you can tell us a story, maybe you're watching something with your parents or your friends or your siblings, whatever, for a chance to win a Volt Safe magnetic block heater for your car. And I know spring is around the corner. We're about to jump ahead. We're about to spring ahead and change the clocks. But we told you about this a couple weeks ago. This sounds like a really neat thing. So we're going to give one away just after 9.15. Alex says, I know most people would say it's not a sport. It's sports entertainment. But the call from Jim Ross when Undertaker throws mankind off the top of the hell in the cell back in 1998 is tremendous.
0: Oh, man. I am not a huge wrestling fan anymore, but Jim Ross, his language, the way he could call anything and make it entertaining all on his own that that is a great great call as god is my witness he is broken in half he is broken
1: in <laughs> half yeah that they were they were genuinely concerned that they had just killed oh, McFoley. Really? that well is oh. he, it was like 15 feet and he went through a table like it oh was gosh. i don't think it was planned i think they mankind actually just said to him on to undertaker on the top said throw me off And Undertaker didn't want to do it, and he said, I'm going to jump off if you don't do it yourself. So, yeah, that was uh, scary, scary stuff, but he was made of stone. It can be easy when discussing COVID to immediately feel down, to feel depressed. We get all kinds of feedback on that front. Can you guys please talk about something else? So, how about we talk about something positive related to the pandemic?
0: Yes, please. A a lot of bad things have come from this pandemic, but... As you'll hear now from a number of Manitobans who spoke with Global News, a lot of good has come from it as well.
5: You really see that there's a lot to do in Manitoba.
2: I've been doing way more crafts. I have, uh, you know, I brought out my beading, which I hadn't done for ages. I think it really kind of just helps me relax. Uh, The
3: appreciation of probably being able to see people, um, doing community work, um, keeping, you know, your your youth and your children engaged because it affected all of our schools and our children. You get to stop and think about, you know, your life. And you've, I found some hobbies that I liked and just a lot more self-love.
6: Yeah, I started working out more and started walking. Like today, I just walked from school to here. So, and I've been walking my dog every day now.
3: You got married. Yes, I got married <laughs> during the pandemic. It was when we could have 50 people. We had 50 people and we, outdoors, we did outdoor outdoors, wedding. Outdoors, not even and waiting. we did all like individual serving food One of the things. quilts I made was for her <laughs> from all the tablecloths.
5: I just reconnect with myself and uh work on my album, and now it's complete, so. You know, when you're in Winnipeg, you kind of just, you know, everything's the same, but when you explore the depths of, like, the actual, like, province itself, there's actually so much to do.
6: I'm still working. I still go to my office every day. I can't see my clients but I can still talk to them on the phone. Being able to stay home and just spend time with my family and just have time to relax and not have to worry about being at a certain place at a certain time. I love my family because I spend a lot of time with them and
3: we're all still talking to each other.
1: Mackling and McGarry McNabb is in for courier before we bring on our next guest. And we're very excited to bring this on, on the subject of the briar. uh, One of the topics that we uh, (laughs) kicked off. I think Greg, you put it best. Here's how, here's how we kick off the next 75 years on 680 CJOB by uh, talking about hot
0: dogs. (laughs) And whether one is enough, because they suggested when you go to the restaurant or you go to the hot dog cart, you only buy one. Typically you don't buy two, but at home, Two is automatic, so all the hot dog talk elicited some interesting text messages, including this one from Mike. He said, started listening to you guys at 6 o'clock this morning with all the hot dog talk. Instead of avocado on toast, I made a hot dog to go for breakfast. (laughs) Great choice, Mike. A hot dog is never a bad choice.
1: Right on, and Loren would certainly agree with that. So oh, I guess we'll have to ask no her at 9:52 uh, or so when we bring her on if one is enough or if it's got to be two. It was a tough final day of pre-championship round play. For Manitoba's Jason Gunlickson at the Briar in Calgary yesterday, Team Toba dropped both games in the process, saw its 5-1 and one record fall to 5-2. and two. Mike McEwen's week is over as his foursome ended his week with a win, but a 4-4 four and four record, not enough to make it to the Elite Eight.
0: Sorry, Brad, I mistyped that. He fell to 5-3, and three, of course, and one of the most elite individuals to ever take the pebbled ice is our next guest. He is National Team Program Manager at Curling Canada. Get this, McGarry. He has 11 Manitoba championships and briar appearances to his name. He's a three-time Canadian champion and two-time world champion. The final rock here in end number nine, got the heart.
4: thin double. If Jeff Stoughton makes heart. it, this could be the shot that
1: wins
0: one. him a sixth one. Manitoba one. Men's Go. Curling Go. Championship. Go. 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 Got one, got two. Oh. Unbelievable!
1: Unbelievable!
0: Just one of hundreds of unbelievable shots made over the years by our next guest. We say good morning to the one, the only, Jeff Stoughton. Good morning, Jeff.
4: Good morning, guys. How are you doing?
0: We're doing really well. We appreciate you taking some time out of your schedule. So this briar, unlike any other in the bubble in Calgary, the field has now been cut to eight as we enter the championship draw. Two wild card teams at the top of the standings, Mr. Stoughton. This is an unreal field of curlers heading into the weekend of championship.
4: Yeah, I mean it's it's pretty amazing that uh you know, sort of all the known teams are at the top of the field. I think the big surprise would be uh Wayne Madoc skipping Glenn Howard's team at to seven and one. I mean, we know the team is great, but we haven't seen Wayne in the curling world for about five or six years. Uh so that's uh, sort of the, the feel-good story right now. And then, of course, you know, Kui is a Canadian champion. He's the Canadian champion, world champion, and Olympian. Always going to be at top of the pool. But uh, I tell you, I don't think I'd want to be playing these guys. They all look way too good right now.
1: Now, the challenge of heading into a competition like this, almost cold, you know, not really having played a lot, uh, is it possible that it was a larger challenge for some teams than it was for others?
4: Yeah, I think for, um, you know, our Manitoba teams, uh, the men got on the ice for about two weeks before the briars started. And prior to that, they hadn't been on the ice for three months. So, uh, you know, definitely there was a lot of rust to kick off and and try and get some practice time in. We know the maritime provinces were still open in the sense that they could all go and practice. Uh, There were some restrictions in Alberta, Saskatchewan, B.C. So definitely... um, none of the teams would have been coming in uh, at the peak of their game just because they hadn't played any games all year. Uh, and I think you can start seeing the, you know, sort of forming now who, uh, who's starting to put it all together. Uh, we know Gunner got off to a great start, um, and came right out of the shoot, but I, uh, you know, he hasn't been shooting as well as he was at the start of the week. And I think the teams that he's going to start to have to play are starting to play better as well. So, uh, He's got a big, uh, tough task ahead of him with three losses right now.
0: Yeah, you mentioned Jason Gunlickson. Of course, Mike McKeown would have loved to have been playing this weekend, 4-4, four and four, just not good enough. Uh, so Gunlickson has two games today. His first at one thirty versus John Epping of Ontario, and I think you're right, uh, Jeff. Uh, he's starting to uh, find his game. He, he struggled even in wins a little bit earlier in the week, and then tonight he takes on Brad Gushu's Team Canada. Uh, really no losses can be afforded here, fair to say? I think so. It's pretty
4: bunched up. You never know. I, you know, three losses will probably, might get you into a tiebreaker like it did in the in the women's, but uh, I don't think you want to go to four, and with Jason sitting at three now, he's going to have to have a quite an outstanding day of beating Epping and Gushu back-to-back today. So, uh, you know, it's not something he can't do, but uh, it's going to be a tough task because I think everyone – who's, uh, like I said, kicked off the rust and starting to, to peak at the right time are, are starting to play a little bit better. So Jason's got to bring his game up for sure to uh, be able to take care of Epping and Gushu today.
3: We
1: had a 3 nothing game the other day. Uh, that's got some wondering <laughs> if there are more rule changes ahead to get more rocks in play. What do you think?
4: Um, I don't know. Like I did watch the game. Uh, there were rocks in play. There were some. I mean, the guys are so great at making runbacks and doubles and everything else in between that uh, that was part of it. Both teams played very conservative. I know Gunner sort of has his game plan in place, so he was following his game plan. Jacobus was probably saying, "I'm winning the game. I don't need to take any chances here." So it was one of those games where it came down to one or two chances to score and Jason didn't execute and ended up giving up steals. So, uh, I don't know. I mean, we can always talk about it. I mean, the teams are, are playing just at such a high level that it, it becomes easier, but you know, you look around the rest of the games and everything's, uh, you know, six, four, eight, six, you know, nine, seven. So I don't think there's any major concern about, uh, not enough scoring happening. I think it was just the, the way that the game was approached and, uh, everyone kind of bailed out at the right time. And you you look around and go, well, I guess we can blank.
0: Well, I've seen lots of very exciting one-nothing hockey games over the years, Jeff. So uh, I I understand where you're coming from. For those that have not ever curled, just give us – an understanding if you can from the hack when you're looking at the broom which is where you're aiming if i remember correctly from grade nine uh, uh yeah, gym yeah. class <laughs> give us an understanding of how many millimeters you're playing with uh when you're talking about hitting the the rock exactly where you want to uh, on some of the more precise shots
4: yeah you know it's it's pretty amazing you know i'm lucky enough i made a couple of them but you know you you put the broom down and that's where you're where you're aiming and you're expecting it to curl from where you put the broom down to its to to its last point where it's supposed to end so if you're drawing the button and you're throwing it out by the edge of the eight or the middle of the 12 foot the the rock is going to curl four to five feet um and you have to end up putting it right on the pinhole we'll say just to make it simpler um the execution is amazing like you know you've got sweepers that could maybe bring a rock four to five extra feet if you're light uh you've got the line to make sure it may may or may not curl enough uh so there's nothing better than when you slide over the hack and you let it go and you and it's all feel and those type of shots where you're trying to draw the button you just have to feel what it is and that's all based on repetition repetition leg drive um and everything else in between so it's such a touch game and i think and that's one of the things that people don't quite get i mean you get out there you got to throw the rock 145 feet and put it on a button that's a 40 pound piece of granite um it's it's pretty amazing just how well these guys can execute and it's just like any sport i mean um anytime you're making a 10 foot putt you know it's never going to go in the hole as jack nicholas says if you only putt it nine feet so it's it's that touch and feel that, that is really the biggest part of the game and I think that's something that the the fans at home uh, you know, if you go out and try it, I've taken people who never curled before and their first shot usually bangs off the boards because they think they have to throw it so hard but they don't, It's it's really is a touch game
1: How many years did it take for you to, to, to have the confidence to say I got this?
4: It takes a lot of years, I mean, you know if you have success in juniors, you think you've got it and then you start playing the men and you go, well maybe I Probably don't have it quite yet. Uh, you know, it's sort of an evolution of how much better you can get. Uh, in juniors, you're making you know seven or eight out of ten shots, and then in men's, you got to make eight or nine. And then to be at the best, like to win at a Briar, you got to make it you know minimum nine out of ten shots. And uh, it takes a lot of years. And it's not only the the practice time you have to put in and the gym time and and the repetition and everything and everything. It's also between years is the tough part too. You know, am I good enough? Can I make this? And, you know, you kind of have to train yourself to believe in yourself and and to believe in all your teammates. I think that's the biggest thing about such a small four-person team is when you've got the backs of everyone on your teammate and they've got your back. It's quite a a feeling. And I know when we were fortunate enough to win, there was never a doubt that we weren't going to win. You never had anything negative creeping into your mind. You never expected a person to miss and if they if they did make a half shot or something go no worries I've got the next one I'll cover it for you so it's an amazing feeling and I think if you look at this field of eight there's probably three teams that are feeling that right now and mm-hmm. they'll probably be the three teams that will be playing on Sunday and uh we'll, well we'll see who they are but uh you know sometimes you can see it and sometimes you just know from their their mannerisms on the ice that they, they've got this and uh look out
0: Jeff, I, I have to sneak this one in with regards to the amount of time you have between shots. Brett, I know you can relate to this with regards to golf. You have so much time to contemplate what you have to do, where you want to put the ball or or put the rock, and the implications of which. And, you know, if you make this shot, this could happen. How do you block all of that out because when you're playing hockey or football playing football you don't necessarily have time to think about if I do this that is going to happen you have a lot of time if you allow it to to let some serious distracting thoughts get into your mind if you allow it how do you block them out <laughs>
4: Well, it is tough. You you don't you you try to never think of the the negative side of what you're trying to do and and sometimes that's part of being a good teammate, you know, you don't need a front ender to come down and tell you or your third to say, "Well, if you do this, that's terrible." Because you just don't want to hear that because that's, you know, that means I've missed the shot and it's not good. So, it there's a lot of it's not so much mental training. It's just understanding that what it's going to take for you to execute um try to block everything out and 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 the guy's always said I was a I was a great skip because i wasn't that smart and i wasn't thinking that much and that's really <laughs> that's really that's part of the game like as it, you know i'm as a golfer i can golf i'm not bad you know i used to be able to play pretty well but i know that my my best round is usually my first round of the year because i'm not thinking about a thing and so i go out and i make like four or five pars and then the next round i'm thinking wow i made four or five pars last round i can go out and do that again and now i start thinking about well should I hit it down the left side? If I come across the top, I'm going to slice it, and I start thinking, and then I become the golfer that I really am. And, uh, and that's a lot like in curling. You just have to block everything out. Uh, you know there's big shots in the games, and that's part of being able to handle your nerves. And I, I certainly remember throwing a rock uh, back when I, was, I had a shot to win a, put a game away in a Briar final against Gee Hemmings. I had a little outturn tap for three points to put the game away. And about uh, I slid out and my hand actually shook about three times because I knew how important the shot was. And I, I remember that. And then, it, you know, sort of the, the motor instincts took over. and I executed and we got our three. But all those things can creep into your mind. And and, and then it takes over your body, as I'm sure we know in golf. That's for sure. But, uh, yeah, it, it's just, you know, the more you put yourself in those situations, the more you know how to adapt. I mean earlier on I was uh probably more nervous than than required. Later on, uh you're hoping those nerves come back because I think you you've adapted too much. So, you know, you sort of have that you know, at the end of your career you're too relaxed because you've been through all this stuff and it doesn't bother you anymore and and, the, and earlier in your career you're really nervous and you need to calm down a little bit. So, uh you know, that's sort of that sweet spot where you where you end up winning in the middle.
1: Well, Jeff Stouton, I'm glad to hear that uh even though you're a championship curler, you're sounds like you're almost as neurotic as I am on the golf course. So,
4: uh, <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> okay.
1: Jess yeah. Salton, thank you so much for joining us today. Very much appreciate the time.
4: All right, you guys. Have a great day and uh, enjoy the championship weekend. All right, right, will do. And he's he's right. The, the, the first
1: few rounds, as my golf season goes on, I become a worse golfer. I'm better at the beginning of the season because yeah. I get some good scores. And once I get that good score, then that's all I can think about. And then it's just, okay, so... Don't hit it into the water. So, of course, I hit it into the water. What water? Somebody said if you want to (laughs) find... It's a great meme. If you want to find water on Mars... Just send me with a
0: golf club and a golf ball. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> my buddies all know to start talking about the scores if they want to get in my head. Oh, really? Oh, Macklin got a pretty good uh, front nine there. It's oh. like, thanks, guys. Yeah. It's I, all over now.
1: I don't want to ever know what I got on the front nine. <laughs> Mackling and McGarry, McNabb is in for Courier. Coming up after Global News at 9.30, we're going to speak to the owner of a restaurant, a restaurant which opened back in November. I went to that restaurant last week. It was amazing, and that restaurant was recommended to me by our next guest, our weekly visit with Gabrielle Marchand, Global News Morning, our Gab with Gabby. Going to Bistro in Notre Dame next half hour.
3: Oh, so Good. Brett and I have a food talk at least every Friday. We talk about food probably five days a week if we're being realistic. But that's a poutine place. Great poutine. At that bistro on Notre Dame.
1: Yeah, it was that. It may may have been the best poutine I've ever had. So we'll get into that in our next half hour. But we like to sort of go over some of the fun topics that we've yeah. covered this week, and uh, one of them was the dumb slash funny slash awkward places where you've fallen asleep. I imagine, especially since you started on the morning shift, you could probably give us a story or two
3: everywhere and anywhere for falling asleep in awkward places my family has asked me at times when I was younger even I had this issue and my mom was like maybe you're narcoleptic because you can fall asleep anywhere I think I've just been chronically overtired since my teenage years I've fallen asleep in the shower Standing up in the shower. <laughs> Come on, I'm not kidding you, Craig, Do you believe me?
0: <laughs> I, I sort of do believe you. Actually, I don't think you would lie about that.
3: You actually, shut that... your eyes. It's kind of relaxing That's the true. water. You can fall asleep standing up. I think if you're really tired, because it's happened Uh-oh. to me.
0: Oh, no. I, that was the story that I shared of uh, uh, not myself, but somebody that I know that fell asleep standing up with a R- Ryan Coke in their hand in the middle of a <laughs> bar in Calgary years ago. So
3: amazing. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. So you fell asleep in the shower. Where else?
3: I've fallen asleep. I think I shared this story actually on the show already. So sorry if I'm repeating myself. Doing a yoga move where I was leaning over with my arm up and my head on the ground just passed <laughs> right out. That was you the other day, Brett. Master of Zen.
1: <laughs> were, you, were you at home? Or were I you? was at home on
3: the carpet, okay. thankfully. Okay. But there were people to laugh at me at the time. so
1: There were people there laughing at you. Yeah.
3: And even now as an adult, this is so weird. If I'm really tired and I'm hanging out with people I'm really comfortable with and I'm feeling the effects of the morning show, I'll just go take a nap on the floor. Like, everybody will be visiting, and I'll just be <laughs> napping on the floor like a small child. Really? Oh, yeah.
1: Why the... So, like... No shame. This is at your place, or... If yeah, you would, or... I've done
3: that with friends when they're socializing. Like, somebody I'm really comfortable with, obviously. Not strangers. That'd just be weird, but...
0: Why don't you just go to bed? I don't know. Because
3: I don't want... I have FOMO. I don't want to miss out. What if I wake up and they're having a good conversation? <laughs>
0: Oh, my gosh. I'm, I'm remembering uh, for Christmas, I think the year I turned 13, my Auntie Kathy bought me a T-shirt, and all it said across the front was tired because whenever <laughs> she asked me how I was, that was always my answer, tired. All right. You should
3: bring that back. That I sh- actually,
0: I happen-
1: we should. That happened to me the other day. I was doing exercises at home, just like I was on my side just doing, like, leg lifts, and uh, I had my right hand on the side of, right, right side of my head, and I fell asleep for, like, an hour.
3: That's a an hour. Yeah,
1: I woke up. uh, Done with this. I woke up and I was like, I don't remember this part of the show Uh, because I was watching Netflix at the time, and it turns out two and a half episodes of the show I was watching had passed, so I had to go back and figure out where I was. So, anyway, uh, something dumb you did in school that got you in trouble?
3: Oh, things I can repeat.
5: When I was younger.
3: You know what? There used to be this trend. All the kids were doing it. You'd put glue on your hand, and then you'd let it dry, and you'd pick it off your hand. It was weirdly satisfying.
0: <laughs> yes, extra skin.
3: Yeah, like extra skin. Gross. But you were supposed to save it for recess, and I just couldn't. So I'd like sneak my little craft glue bottle into my desk, and sometimes I'd be doing it during... School day, school hours, when I was supposed to be doing like I don't know multiplication, whatever you learn in grade three and four, I was busy picking glue off my hands, which explains a lot now. So, <laughs> got caught a few times. What about you guys?
1: Well, Mackling, you're laughing at the glue thing and nodding. Is this something? Is this oh. a thing? Is this one of those things that kids do no matter what generation they're in?
0: I think so. I love the was it the Elmer's white glue, and you just sort of pour it on, squeeze it out of that orange knob uh, nozzle on the on the on the top of the bottle or the LePage's
3: Let's glued. bring it back.
0: Yeah, and you just kind of put it on your finger and like you say, you let it dry and then you peel it off and then but of course you had to try, like the beer label, if you could peel the beer, <laughs> peel the beer label off one that. piece, you were a superstar <laughs> and I, I think that was part of it with the glue thing too, as I'm sitting here picking up my finger, I'm sort of craving the notion of putting glue on this Peter Pointer of mine here.
3: I think we should all try it together. Let's do the Okay. Glue picking challenge.
1: Have you ever gotten crazy glue on your hand?
3: No, thank goodness. Have you?
1: Yeah, Mackling. Have you? Yeah, one time. Yeah, what was the result of that? Do you remember?
0: Uh, I don't remember. All I know I was very uh, uh, happy that I had some paint thinner in the house because I think that's the only thing that really helps.
1: Yeah, separate your fingers. It's a. Well, oh, your your fingers actually stuck together.
0: Oh, of course. Oh Come on, man. You're gonna do it. You gotta do it right.
1: <laughs> yeah, I just I uh, looked down and thought, and I saw it on my finger, and thought, that's bad because I it, it's corrosive,
0: isn't it?
3: Paint thinner sounds it's corrosive nasty, as well. It's nasty
0: stuff. It's I true. caught it in, in, in time though, and uh, it was either paint paint thinner or turpentine. I guess maybe they're the same thing. But uh, yeah, I managed to to peel them apart. I don't know if I lost any skin on, on that, but yeah, it was just dumb.
1: Now uh, we I'll open the week. International Women's Day on Monday by asking listeners to tell us about a woman in their life other than their mom who had a major and positive impact on your life. And I know that you've befriended uh, several ladies in Osborne Village, right?
3: Yeah, there's a group of gals that live at Villa Cabrini. Uh, It's a seniors residence and they've become my adopted grandmothers in this world. I don't have any grandparents left and it's been so... Amazing having them in my life. We used to play bingo together every Tuesday and we'd go for lunch at the Legion sometimes Tuesday or Friday afternoons. Obviously, that's all changed for them. But one of them, Irene, who's 95, the smartest, most clever, hilarious, wicked, funny woman you could ever meet, she phoned me yesterday during the show. Actually, Kayla was doing an interview, so I was talking to her on the phone and she told me she's got her vaccine. So she got her first shot of the vaccine and she's so excited to hopefully see her grandkids. And then she said she's also just gearing to get back to bingo. And that made my day.
0: <laughs> I loved that you call them the gals because it was my Grammy used to call, it, uh, call my buddies, the fellas. So what are you doing with the fellas oh, this weekend? The I fellas like and the gals. <laughs> Very nice. That's a nice memory. And how sweet are you? My goodness.
3: Oh, you know what? It's totally selfish hanging out with them because they are hilarious. And they make these really amazing, sometimes inappropriate jokes. And they are just, it's like hanging out with seven comedians. That's, that's what it's
1: like. We've said it before, but Gabrielle Marchand is so modest that she won't even admit that she's a nice person. She's saying, no, it's selfish. I'm being selfish. Yeah. I'm a troll. <laughs> that's not true at all, Gabrielle Marchand. She is the host of Global News Morning weekdays on Global Winnipeg from 6 until 9, and we chat with her every Friday, just after 9, our weekly gab with Gabby. Gabby, thank you so much.
3: Thank you both so much for having me, and happy Friday, my friends.
1: Mackling and McGarry, we have a Volt Safe Magnetic Block Heater plug for your car. This is something we told you about two weeks ago. Two weeks ago today, in fact. These guys were on Dragon's Den. They came they actually got a deal and then they turn it away. Oh, speaking of turning away. Hang on, Greg. I just There, I gotta turn the camera back my way. I switch seats when we do our gab with Gabby so that she can see me. She, she sits in the news booth, um, but now I've gone back to my regular spot. Anyway, this is a really neat, neat thing, and I know it's spring, basically, but hey, if you win it, you're ready for next winter already. So we've been asking you today to text us about your best or worst Watching sports on TV memory, I shared that mine was the shot. Christian Leitner, Duke Blue Devils, defeating Kentucky Wildcats last second in 1992 in March Madness. Every time I watch that, it still takes me back to that moment where I was watching with my dad, Smash Gordon, sitting on his bed. And uh, stupid Christian Leitner. (laughs)
0: Anyway, <laughs> they chant a certain thing, I, th- I think, to this day in certain college basketball arenas. We can't uh, repeat it on the air right now, but it has to do with doing certain things to Christian Leitner. But anyway, you got a runner up for us. I do. Having watched Calgary come second to the Oilers gang so many times in the 80s. Steve Smith's own goal in 1986 was awesome. And I'm going to press play on this and hope you can hear what I hear.
1: On
0: Steve oh, they score! Oh, Steve Smith in a oh, to get it on the net. So Steve Smith, defenseman of the Oilers, goes behind his net. net. Grant Fuhr wasn't tight against his post. You might remember this. He goes to throw it up the ice. It bounces off the back of Grant Fuhr's skate into the net. Calgary goes on. To win that series in 1986, they went on to lose the Stanley Cup final to the Montreal Canadiens. But here is our
1: winner, and just to, some insight into how we end up choosing our winners. We like when you paint us a picture. Sometimes we, you've, we love all the text, and we love that you participate, but uh, it's the ones that paint the vivid imagery that tend to win the day, and this one is a great memory. Best sports memory in the Dominican Republic for our wedding Over the Olympics in 2014, our 40 guests invaded every space with a television for both the men's and women's hockey gold medal games. Two full days of cheering and screaming and celebrating with every other Canadian on the resort and pretty much anyone who is not American, LOL. Amazing! Oh, and uh, we got married. Ha! (laughs) So congratulations! We love that. 40 Screaming Canadians in the Dominican Republic enjoying the Olympics in 2014. You win yourself that VoltSafe magnetic block heater plug. Mackling and McGarry McNabb is in for Courier. We'll check in with her in our next segment. And before we introduce our next guest, Greg, I just want to read this email from Dave. Some uh, some dark humor as it pertains to our previous conversation with Gabby talking about uh, the awkward places where we fall asleep. Mm -hmm. And uh, this one has to do with falling asleep. Well, I'll just read the text. Um, When I go, I want to go like my grandfather in his sleep, not screaming like his passengers. (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> that is brutal <laughs> Oh that reminds me of the of the joke about the um about the hitchhiker and the hitchhiker gets in the car and he's asking the driver that picked him up aren't you worried that I might be a mass murderer or some psychopath like that? And the driver says, what are the chances of two psychopaths and math, mass murderers being in the same car at the same time? <laughs> <laughs> so thank you
1: very much for that email, Dave, to brat at cjob.com and for all of your text messages at 204-780-6868. Now, our next guest also can be connected to Gabrielle Marchand because, as she pointed out, we usually end up chatting about food uh, every week, like, oh, so you going to order any takeout this week? Are you going to any restaurants? And she revealed to me recently that she was going to try... So this was a couple of weeks ago. She says, I'm going to try this place called Bistro on Notre Dame because they actually featured this restaurant on Global News Morning. So uh, I went and checked it out, and... This was just last week and it was so good. Uh, some of the best poutine, maybe the best poutine I've ever had. And I had like a, I believe it was a like a bannock bread grilled cheese sandwich with avocado. It was just sensational. And as I learned while I was there, Greg just an amazing story about this restaurant.
0: Well, let's dig into that a little bit. Dean Herkert. Did I say that right, Dean? Uh, Yes, you did. Dean Herkert is the owner of Bistro on Notre Dame, which is at 784 Notre Dame. Welcome to the start, Dean. Well, thank you for having me. We're happy to have you. So uh, tell us, how daunting was it to open a restaurant in November during the level red of this pandemic and the restrictions? Dine-in wasn't even an option,
6: Yes, it it wasn't an option at at that point. We had just finished our renovations just in time to face full restrictions. So we uh, basically on November 6th, we received our health permit. We could open up for full dining, and then the province closed everything down on the 9th. So we had to go to delivery takeout only at that point in time, and it's been very challenging. I'll just say it's a trial in patience.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, how did it go in terms of sales just uh, for those few months doing only takeout?
6: Um, it's pretty well what we kind of expected. I based on my projections, there's probably an 80% drop in sales, um, versus if I'd been able to seat people in the restaurant. So uh, we've been limping along. Uh,
0: limping that's not uh, really the word you want to attach to your business plan. How are things going since uh, you reopened, and what sort of capacity have you got, Dean? Um,
6: We've had some interest. Like we're we're allowed to reopen to fifty percent now, so we can seat about fourteen people in the place. Um, we haven't had anywhere near that amount of interest. Uh, we have had some people come in sporadically to check us out, but I think people are still really tentative about the message they're getting from the province in terms of yes, restaurants are open. You can seat fifty percent, maintain your social distancing, uh, keep the separation there, and then. But every conference they're telling people, stay at home, don't go out unless you have to. So it's not exactly the best message for me as a restaurateur to hear uh, because they're saying, yes, you can see people, but we're going to tell those people not to go out.
1: So, Well, and one of the reasons why I think you chose that location had to do with its uh, relative proximity to the hospital, right, to HSC, or probably hoping to to get some lunch uh, crowds coming in. But if they can't come in, if they can't sit at the same table, that's almost uh, a moot point.
6: Yes, for sure. Um, definitely, when, when I picked this location, the Health Sciences Centre played a big factor in it. I felt they were underserviced in terms of uh, restaurants and food service in the area. And then, yes, um, during the day, we were hoping to attract that work crowd. But people that work together cannot come across and eat lunch together. Uh, they have to sit six feet apart. <laughs> so, so
0: Yeah, what are you going to do at that point? Dean Herkert is our guest. He's the owner of a Bistro on Notre Dame. It's at 784 Notre Dame. So if you're out and about, maybe thinking about where you're going to have lunch, what time do you open, Dean? We open 11 a.m. Perfect. So you've been in the restaurant industry or the hospitality industry, as uh, I prefer to call it. Uh, Wow Hospitality uh, was where you worked in the past. What made you want... To open your your own restaurant and i I hate to chuckle because I did it myself so be, besides being uh, somewhat you know uh, crazy, why did you yeah. want to do this?
6: I mean despite the long hours and yes all the yes industry? all the
0: glamour that's attached to owning your own place um I don't know I just felt um
6: especially in Winnipeg in the past ten years the restaurant industry has really evolved here in Winnipeg and there's a lot of great selection and people are willing to try different things now and I really pre-pandemic I really wanted to focus on local sourcing and sourcing responsibly um, and being able to showcase what we could get within a reasonable distance of our hometown here so um, I just I don't know I just like being able to create things from local food sources and provide a really nice setting for people to relax in and enjoy it.
1: Well, in terms of that food, uh, how would you describe your cuisine at Bistro in Notre Dame?
6: Um, We refer to it as an elevated fusion of comfort foods. So we do do have some classic comfort dishes, but we've added some twists to them. So probably the one I like the most is uh, the walleye mac and cheese. You know, in Maine, they're big on their lobster mac and cheese. So I don't know why in Manitoba we wouldn't be big on walleye mac and cheese. And it actually, I really like the flavor and the combination of the walleye and the mac, macaroni and cheese. So um, so it's things like that. And then it's trying new flavors and introducing them to local ingredients. So um, butter chicken is a pretty popular item. So we do have a butter chicken burger on our on our menu um, and additional stuff. Um, as we mentioned, we have an avocado grilled cheese, and we use bannock. When I was looking at the restaurant, I was looking at biscuit recipes originally, and then I realized, well, bannock isn't much different than a biscuit recipe, so let's adjust it and make the bannock recipe instead and showcase bannock. So.
0: Sounds like a, a, a tremendous menu, very creative, and it's interesting that you mention, Dean, that... The fact that more restaurants and other restaurants and Winnipegers maybe are developing a, a more of an eclectic taste, where they're prepared to try different things, would be encouragement for you to open. Because uh, from the outside, people might say, "Well, that means there's more competition." D- talk a, a little bit about that philosophy and why maybe it means uh, good things for the industry overall. Yeah, it it definitely
6: like the. The uh, As you said, the, the eclectic tastes have developed in the city and that extra competition actually just makes things more interesting. It, makes, uh, it challenges restaurateurs, I hope, to be more creative with what they do and to pay attention to the quality and the process that they use in order to deliver their product. So from a consumer standpoint, I think you benefit hugely um, from our diversity now and from our willingness to try new things. Um, so that's probably... Yeah, the best thing is, yeah, just, just challenge your
4: creativity. So.
1: And I also know that you uh, you source local materials, like in the restaurant, uh, the furniture, for example, and uh, other sort of accoutrements and decorations that you have in the restaurant, they're all from Manitoba, right?
6: Yes. Um, when I first started developing the restaurant, the one thing I knew for sure was I was going to use furniture made in Manitoba, and there was only two options at the time. Um, I ended up going with Prairie Barnwood. He's based out of Morden, Manitoba. Um, The name kind of says it all. He reclaims old barns and turns it into furniture. Um, If I couldn't find something that was locally sourced, then I made sure to check out the company and make sure they were um, sourcing responsibly, that there were a company involved in in their community. So a lot of the stuff, the fabrics I had to get from a company in New Jersey, but they were involved with, Cancer Society on a national and a regional level out there, and it was a long-serving family-owned company, so I felt okay about bringing that stuff in when I couldn't find a Manitoba-made fabric for my furniture. Um, And that's basically the whole process. Local, if I can do it, if I couldn't do it, make sure I'm sourcing responsibly.
0: Wow, that's a lot of legwork uh, for something that's already a daunting task. Now, as I understand it, you were once, uh, or once down the road of opening your own restaurant in 2018 and another virus got in the way?
6: Yes, it was actually this very same location. Um, I was about seven days away from closing, finishing my due diligence on the property, and I contracted West Nile virus. And that put me in the hospital for 10 days. So while I was in the hospital, based on how I was feeling, I really didn't think I'd be able to go ahead with the purchase and open a restaurant at any time in the near future. And it did take me about a year to recover from the virus. And then, yeah, well, because I spent 10 days in the hospital, it was another three months before I was even really very functional at home. And it was another six to nine months before I felt anywhere close to being fully recovered from the virus and being able to put in a full work week.
1: Wow. So you finally got the restaurant open. um, Is the reaction from customers, at least positive, to the point where you think that once things open up a bit more that you'll see some more people come through the door?
6: Yes, I think so. I think People that have walked into the room really appreciate the look of the room and the fact that I put a lot of thought into how we've set up the restaurant. And then we've had very positive feedback about the food. It's just, you know, you hear the positive feedback, but you don't see a return in business, and you kind of have to just grin uh, and bear it until people feel comfortable about coming back out again.
0: Resilience, boy, oh boy. That name, word just keeps bouncing around in my head. Dean, thanks for this time, and best of luck as as you continue down this path.
6: Okay, thank you. Thank you for having me.
1: Dean Herkert is the owner of Bistro on Notre Dame at 784 Notre Dame, and I can vouch for it. I went there for lunch last week, and it was just sensational. Like I said, some of the best poutine I've ever had. It's a lovely a little spot, great service in there. Yeah, I can't, uh, I have nothing, nothing bad, nothing but great things to say about it. And as you pointed out, Greg, the resilience, the perseverance of pushing through first West Nile virus and now opening the restaurant during a pandemic. It's a great Manitoba story. So we felt compelled to share it.
0: With no you. question about it. And I apologize for using that other C word crazy earlier, because when you think about opening a business restaurants are typically at the top of the list for people. Oh, one day I'd like to open a restaurant, but like 90% of them fail in the first 12 to 24 months. It's a, daunting task it's a ton of hard work and when i hear dean speak about why he does what he's doing i think he's got a real genuine chance of survival and maybe even thriving one day but it's just so much work so my hat genuinely goes off to all the restaurateurs all the business owners out there that are slugging it out are moving forward and do it with a smile on their face and that sense of optimism it really is a great way to end the week brett